Amen. Well, Chris, as usual, as a great, great, great rendering of that, thank you so much. Wonderful. And what an appropriate song for an occasion like today. I'm sure you have your Bible there at home, so turn to John chapter 14, please. And the subject this morning is a time of great fear. A time of great fear, and the text is John 14. Very familiar verses. Some of you can quote them with me. I read John 14, 1 and 2. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I don't think anyone watching today or listening would argue for a moment that fear and paranoia and hysteria have set in not, o- not only all over our country, but all over the world. I, in my relatively long life now, have never seen anything like it. It's obviously a product of the information age. The benefit of being able to talk to you as I'm doing right now is balanced also by the fact that there's all kinds of communication going on right now, some of it good, some bad, that this information age in which we live is fed by this 24-hour television news and social media cycle. And it becomes very difficult for us now to separate truth from fiction and to separate the spin and the hype from what is reality. And so there's a lot of fear-mongering going on, people stirring up fears. And there's a lot of really irrational responses that people are having today. I think there's irrational closings going on. And I think irrational responses uh, are, are just seen everywhere. For example, before there was even a single case of the coronavirus announced in the state of South Carolina, panic buying had cleaned the shelves of all things of toilet paper and hand sanitizer and wipes. And uh, people would tell me you can go to Walmart or Sam's and the whole area is completely bare. And it's not just in Florence. And it's not in eastern South Carolina. It's all over America. Here's one that's irrational. The sales of the Corona Beer Company are down about 30%. Now, I'm not trying to get help them <laughs> boost their sales, but what I want you to understand is there's no rationality in that. Corona Beer is made in Mexico, and <laughs> that has very little to do with the, the Wuhan Chinese uh, coronavirus. Uh, here's another one. They tell me that Chinese restaurants are empty in places, as if somehow there's a connection. Franklin Roosevelt, when uh, just shortly after Pearl Harbor, said, all we have to fear is fear itself. All we have to fear is fear itself. I've actually heard people quote that as if it were a wise quote. I think it was 
I think it was very, very untrue to be kind about it. Because as long as there are drunk drivers and rattlesnakes and coronaviruses, we have reasons to be concerned, don't we? On the other hand, concern should not equate to panic and to hysteria and to paralyzing fear. And so we as Christians today, we turn to God's book. We turn to the Bible. It is our ultimate authority. It is our ultimate source for guidance and wisdom. And by the way, it speaks about the subject at hand. The word fear appears in our King James Version of the Bible exactly 400 times. Now, my Bible has uh, 1,200 pages in it approximately. And so that would mean about every three pages or so, there's a mention of fear. The word afraid and the context of fear appears another 193 times. That means about every other page of the Bible either addresses, addresses fear in some, in some respect. And so I'd like for us to use our Bibles for a few moments. I'll, I'll not turn you too quickly, and many of these I will quote. But I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 17. Or, pardon me, chapter 21. Luke chapter 21 today, and I want to show you a verse or two there. Now, from a biblical perspective, the coronavirus appears to be what the Bible calls a plague, or what the Bible in a few places refers to as a pestilence. Plagues, or plague, the singular, is mentioned 122 times in our Bible. Over half of the references to plagues, though, referred to one thing, the plague of leprosy throughout the Old Testament because it was, it was as feared as we fear the coronavirus today. In fact, it was worse because leprosy in the Old Testament days, in the ancient world, was really a, a death sentence. And it was a horrible, debilitating, uh, a horrible, horrible death. And so half of the references to plagues are to, uh, uh, to leprosy. In some cases, plagues were sent as the judgment of God. I've had people ask me, Pastor, do you think that this has anything to do with the judgment of God? I, I don't want to say that uh, specifically or dogmatically. However, I would say this, that throughout history, God has sent judgments and I will also add, this is a very wicked time in the world's history. And America, we haven't had any room for God. We go to church when we decide we want to go to church, even Christians. Uh, if we have something that we prefer to do, we think nothing in the world about forsaking the house of God. The average Christian doesn't have their devotions on any kind of real regular basis to meet with God Many don't pray very often. And then we go to the world, and we know the wickedness of the world. I won't even take time to describe it. We know it's a dark time. Could this be a plague sent from God? I, I can't say. He hasn't told me that. But on the other hand, I think if you're a Christian and you're a serious Bible student and Christian, that thought has to probably enter your mind. In one case in the New Testament, Jesus healed a woman. And it says he healed her of her plague. So sometimes it just refers to sickness in a general sense. 
But in the book of Luke, chapter 21, we have here the Lord speaking about the last days. And in chapter 21 of Luke and in verse number 7, the disciples ask him, saying, Master, when shall these things be? And he's talking about the last days and one stone not being on another in the city of Jerusalem and so on. And it's, they ask him, when shall these things be that you're speaking about? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And if you'll go with me down to verse 11, he gives them the signs. Great earthquakes shall be in divers or various places, and famines, and pestilences. Stop. Pestilences. And then fearful sights. Fearful sights. Our Lord is saying, uh, unquestionably here, that pestilences or plagues, as it's stated in other places, they are last-day signs. In the last days, the sign of the Lord's coming will be pestilences and plagues. So you say to me, does this situation we're in right now have prophetic significance? I can't say dogmatically. The thought, however, has often occurred to my mind over the last couple of weeks or so that all the way, the, the way the nations of the world now are having to cooperate and the World Health Organization actually dictating policies that affect our lives and the way that governments are coming together it certainly could be a framework for the coming great leader of the world, the Antichrist. It certainly could be. I'm not saying that it is. But I do see one thing that there's no doubt about, and I can be very dogmatic about. Jesus said in the last days, men's hearts will be failing them for fear. And this is a time of great fear. Second Timothy 3 and 1 said, in the last days, perilous times shall come. If you look at that word perilous, it means dangerous. In the last days, a last days sign is that there will be perilous times. Well, that's the negative side of it, but let me give you the positive. Do you know the most often stated or the most often quoted statement of Jesus in the Gospels? He was always saying, be not afraid. Be of good cheer. Fear not. Phrases like that. Constantly saying those over and over in his earthly pilgrimage. In the book of Joshua, chapter 1, Joshua is about to take over the nation, the leadership. And God spoke to Joshua, and he said, Joshua, I want you to be strong and of a good courage. A few verses later, he says it again, be strong and of a good courage. A few verses later, he repeats it. A few verses later, again, four times in one chapter, God is pumping courage, if you will, right into the mind and the heart of this man, Joshua, as he is about to assume the leadership of the nation. And today, you and I can apply that. My message to you, Christian, is be strong and be of a good courage. And I read to you from John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Boy, that applies right now 
to you where you are. 2 Timothy 1 and 7. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Now stop and think about that. Because I know we have people in our congregation, and you're absolutely paralyzed. You've admitted so, or your actions prove that. You're paralyzed by fear. That didn't come from God. That's the enemy. That is Satan himself emotionally attacking you so you will not be effective. You know what? I don't know where this thing is going. I have no idea. It changes every few hours. I can tell you this. This could be the greatest opportunity we'll ever have to serve the Lord. We don't know. So listen to me today, congregation. Hear me. I wish I could shout loud enough. Every one of you could hear me all over the place where you're listening, but I can't. But through this medium, thank God I can say to you, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us the spirit of a sound mind. A sound mind. Thinking biblically. Thinking the thoughts of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, our Lord is preparing to go back to heaven and listen to his words. Lo, I am with you always. Lo, I am with you. And you and I can read that and say, that's me. I can read that and he says, I am with you, Bill Monroe. And you can put your name in there, in that you. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Now, the word world there, actually, it can be used in two ways. It can mean the end of the physical universe, but it also has another meaning, and that is the end of the age until the end of the time that we live in. And so you and I, who I think are, are living in the last days, we don't know the Lord's coming, but we certainly have reason to believe it's the last days. And we who are living in these last days, we have the promise of his presence. I am with you. In fact, there's something I think we've forgotten about in the modern world. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is locked up in jail. He is preparing to die. Tomorrow morning, on this particular night, he will be led away and he will be beheaded. They'll lay his head down on a log. A soldier will take an axe and sever his head. He's sitting in his jail cell in Jerusalem thinking about this. Over there somewhere in a house, the people of God are meeting and they're praying. And listen to what the Bible says. God sent his angel. God sent his angel. And you know what that angel did? He came and he unlocked that door. Did Peter see that angel? It doesn't say. I don't know. Who are the angels? Angels are ministering spirits. And that ministering spirit, whether visible or invisible, he walked Peter to the door, and he didn't need a key, or if he did, maybe he had an invisible key. <laughs> but he opened the door, and Peter walked out. That angel put those soldiers to sleep that were sitting there, those guards. And he went out to an outer gate, and he unlocked it, and he walked Peter out and down the street to the house where they were praying. 
Do you believe in angels today? You know what? I think there are more angels than there are people. And I believe in the concept of the guardian angel. And I believe God sends his angels to accompany and to protect and to watch over his people just like he did with Peter. And if you don't believe that, you read Psalm 91 after I get through preaching, okay? But it talks in there about the angels of God protecting the people of God. Well, I couldn't complete this without talking about Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to them that love God. Is that, is that true today? Sure is true, isn't it? Here's what I think we need to understand about that verse. You've, many of you know it by heart. All things work together for good, not for everybody, but to them that love God. God never promised you or me that we would not face disease or death. He never promised us that bad things would not happen to us. But he did promise us this, that nothing bad or nothing, nothing would come into my life unless it came through him. I am in Christ, and Christ is in me, and nothing is going to come into my life that doesn't come through him and with his permission, I would add. And he's not only going to allow it in my life, but he's going to work it for good. So in these circumstances that none of us understand today, I promise you that God is working. Will you let him work in your life right now? He, he may be knocking on the door of your heart. And you've been too busy. You've been too involved in the things of life, maybe even legitimate things, but just too busy to even listen to him. You haven't had any time for him. Maybe he's slowing us down and trying to get our attention. You can count on it, my friend. God is working in your life and in the life of every one of his people right now. You see, my concern is that the fear and the paranoia and the hysteria is going to sideline more Christians than the virus. Everybody's not going to get the virus. But this fear thing and hysteria and panic thing, it becomes very, very contagious. And I want to be the lone voice in the wilderness this morning saying to you, don't succumb to that. The Lord is with you. Be not afraid. God is a sovereign God. He's, he's still in charge. Don't let paranoia, irrational response motivated by fear, don't let that sideline you. God's plan for you overall has not changed, my friend. So how should we as Christians respond? Well, first of all, let's just take the human side. And let me one more time go over this. I hope this is not boring to anyone, but I need to do it, and I'll show you why in a moment. We must take all the necessary and the known precautions. And as God's people, that's part of our testimony. That's part of your testimony. So I understand from, and I've done a lot of reading the last couple of days on this. I've just been cooped up trying to prepare to help you right now. And... Um, most important of all is to wash your hands. I'm developing a habit. You do what you want, but I read this. 
every time I change my location, I'm washing my hands. So when I leave the building right now and I'm going to go over to my office, I'm going to wash my hands. I'm going to drive home. But to drive home, I'm going to have to open doors. I'm going to have to put my hand on the steering wheel where I've had it over and over and over. I'm going to pick up my cell phone, and that's probably, arguably, one of the dirtiest things I'll touch today. And uh, so I'm constantly cleaning the cell phone, and I'm, I'm, I'm remembering everything I touch has germs on it that anybody else touched it. And so I'm washing my hands. And so I'll wash my hands when I leave my office. I'll wash my hands when I get home. I'll, I, and I'm going to do that every time I change locations. I, I would suggest you think about that. Then they say, don't touch your face. Well, boy, I'm fighting that battle. That's a hard one. I'm trying to scratch my face with my elbow, and that's kind of hard. <laughs> and then don't shake hands. And uh, the men, we were all laughing the other night because we were just programmed to shake hands. We were over here in the, in the gym, and 400-plus uh, of us, and instinctive things, reach out your hand. Well, don't shake hands right now. And if you're sick, as much as we need your church when this thing turns, please don't come to church if you're sick. Cough in your elbow. Wipe off the door handles and the service surfaces at your home. Um, here at the church, we're wiping down all the door handles every day. We're disinfecting surface, surfaces that people touch, trying to sanitize those. And uh, we have a lot of older, older members. Now listen to me, older members. Don't be on a guilt trip if you can't be here. If you're over 80 years of age, you probably shouldn't come until this thing blows out. <clears throat> and we're not going to think one bit the less of you. The Lord understands, and uh, we don't want to lose you. So don't come if you're over 80. If you have COPD or asthma or bronchitis or emphysema or congestive heart failure or you're taking chemotherapy, or you're taking immunosuppressive drugs. You don't need to come. You, you worship with us on the live stream as best you can, and we'll get through this. We, we love you. We don't want to lose our people because you felt this uh, guilt trip that you had to be there. But beyond those things that we can do, humanly speaking, you know, we put a big emphasis here at our church on the biblical worldview. And we talk about it, but now we've got to practice it, folks. A biblical worldview begins with God. The, biblical the first point of a biblical worldview is there is a God. And that God created the heaven and the earth. That means that God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows all the secrets of the coronavirus and every disease. He knows everything. He knows every thought we have. The sparrow can't fall, but what the Father in heaven knows that. He knows it all. There's no, no fact in all of human history that the Father doesn't know. He not only is omniscient, he not only knows everything, he has all power. We, the big word is omnipotent. And so he can do whatever he wants to do. He is sovereign, which means he reigns in his universe. He rules in the universe. Now, my question to you today, Christian, is this. Has he lost control? 
Has God lost control? Here's a bigger question. Are you acting like he's lost control? That's the real heart of the matter, isn't it? Are we acting like this thing shocked God? It surprised him. Let's pray that God will help us to live consistent with what we say we have believed, our biblical worldview. Now, this evening I'm going to talk to you about the role of the church and some interesting things from history and some lessons that we can certainly learn. But let's work on ourselves and on our attitudes right now. We don't know what, where this is going. We don't know where this is going to settle. We don't know the impact of it fully yet. I, f I fear, in a sense, that the political and economic and spiritual fallout may be every bit as great as the, uh, as the physical impact. When I say I fear, I'm, I'm talking in vernacular terms. But I'm concerned the implications of this on business, on uh, education, health care, and obviously on the church. So it's a time for us to really be close to the Lord. I've been preaching to you for, since the first of the year on, first of all, repenting of our sins and getting clean I mean clean the way God defines clean. And then praying. And then believing God's word, taking him at his word and obeying his word, acting on his word. And then being filled with his spirit. Well, this is a loud voice calling us to do all those things, isn't it? One last thing. In your book, the, in your Bible, the book of Luke, chapter 12. The word of our Lord, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that can kill the body. And after that, they have no more that they can do. That would be the coronavirus. Don't be afraid of that which can kill your body, and after that, it can't do any more. But notice this verse, I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. What Jesus is saying here is there is one fear, and if you have that fear, it will drive out all the other fears. That fear is the fear of God. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I can help you measure how much you feel, fear God. You measure how much you fear God by your diligence in obeying God and His Word. You can't just come to church here on Sunday and then set Him over on the shelf and ignore Him. If you fear the Lord more than anything else, all these other fears will begin to assuage. And my prayer today is that many will come to recognize the insignificance of many of the things that have clamored for our attention for a while here. And I'll leave you with this thought. In times of darkness, people need the light.
And Florence Baptist Temple people, it's time to shine. It's time to shine. If you're not saved today, if there's anyone listening to me that is, you know that God has used this to bring you to a consciousness of Him, a conviction of Him, just bow your head right now and let me pray with you. Pray this prayer with me. Repeat this prayer right there in your home or the restaurant or the wherever you may be watching. Repeat this. Heavenly Father, I have sinned. I don't have a relationship with you that I would like to have. I repent of my sins. I ask you to come into my life. I now trust you as my Savior and my Lord. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Come and live in me. And help me to have an unfaltering faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, you have God's promise that if you ask that in sincerity and with genuineness in your heart, God has saved you. Now, for those of you who are saved and Christians and members and active in our church, I hope today that I've helped you to think biblically about what's happening in the world today. I'm praying for you. Boy, I need you to pray for me as well. Pray for us. This is, you know, I feel rather empty having finished a service and there's nobody here, but I know you're out there. And I want you to pray for me and pray for our staff here as we're trying to do the best we can in this situation. Pray that God will just use us like he never has before.